0: This is, this is week number four in our series. We're looking at Israel. And, and let me, as we've got visitors with us this morning, let me just prefix what we're going to say this morning by saying this. We are a church that is pro-Israel. Amen. Amen. Right? And I personally am very pro-American. I want to say that because some of the things that that we need to look at this morning may sound, at at least in the first instance, very negative towards the Jews and very negative towards America, but we're going somewhere. And actually, there are a lot of negatives involved in the history of both America and the Jews. But for the moment, just look up a moment. Everybody, eyes forward. Years and years ago, a young man called Elvis Presley was practicing his guitar and he became known in a region of America and a young reporter went to him and stuck a microphone in his face and said what's your dream what's your plan and Elvis Presley famously replied with these words he said I'm gonna be rich famous and happy that's my dream that's my plan and what happened was well you know the story 20 years later, and a lot of changes later, the same reporter finds himself once again face-to-face with Elvis Presley. And he says to him, you will not remember me, but I remember you. And I remember what you said. Now, you said you wanted to be rich, famous, and happy. And are you? And Elvis's reply, it's terrible. He said this, Rich, I've got more money than anyone could spend in a thousand lifetimes. Famous? I can't walk down any street of any city in this world without people crowding me. Happy? No. I'm as miserable, this is what he said, I am as miserable as sin itself. Terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible story. You know, remember when we began this series, we looked at the prodigal son. Now think of the prodigal son. Here he is. He's living at home. He's living with his father. Happy home, no doubt. Good father, no doubt. And what does he do? He leaves. He leaves, if you like, the structure of the home, the law of his father, the good law, and off he goes. Now, what do you think was in his mind? I want to be, (laughs) listen, dad, you know, you're a bit behind the times now, dad. You're getting a bit old, and the world's changed, and I know what I need, and you don't. You don't understand my generation. You don't understand me, so I'm off-ski, as they say in Glasgow, right? I'm off no doubt to pursue rich, fame, and happiness. And Jesus used the prodigal son as an example of Israel, remember. Not Judah, Israel. As an example of the lost tribes. And there's a lesson right there. This morning what I want to do is rather than look at Judah and the, tribes that, the tri- tribe that remained, I want to ask a simple question. What happened, the, the ten tribes that Jesus tore off And he cast them out, and those Jewish people got scattered all over the earth. In fact, you know, globally, it's a bit like the Irish, right? They're everywhere. What happened then? What did they do? What did they become? Where are they today? And that that little journey in and of itself tells an amazing story look at Genesis chapter 11 and verse 6. Genesis chapter 11 verse 6. This is for me one of the top lines in the Bible, you know. There's some lines that just shock me beyond belief. They're, they're, they're lines you would naturally think should not ever be said, you know. They're so shocking. Genesis chapter 11 verse 6. This is God speaking. And the Lord said, talking about mankind, If, as one people, speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, look at the next bit, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. I'm glad God said that, right? Such magnificent, awesome creatures we are, really. And God basically says, not me, but God says, He created us with with a stroke of genius, really, within us, with creativity, with creative powers, imagination, skills, talents, etc., etc. And when we combine those, it just gets greater and greater, and with the passing of time, it gets greater and greater. And right here at the outset, God says, hey, 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 slow down a bit here. If as one people with one language, this is where they've gotten to already, then I need to slow them down. Now, my point is this, folks. Yes, humanity is is fearfully and wonderfully made, but I would put it to you, you don't have to agree with me, that there's a certain group of people within humanity that are the most fearfully and most wonderfully made. The Jews. And let me tell you why. Okay? So suspend your judgment for one moment. Point one on your notes. Because of their sheer genius. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but you will have heard of the Nobel Peace Prize, right? The Nobel Peace Prize was established in 1904. And from then until now, there have been 174, I think it's 175, prizes issued. Okay? Now, the Jewish population globally is about 14 million people. Now, if you do the math, if you figure it out, probability-wise, guess how many Nobel Prizes, statistically, that the Jewish people should have had? Anybody? Zip. Zero. Or, at best, one, but that's improbable. Do you know how many they have? 49. 49. The last one being, I believe, Carl Sagan. So in terms of genius, I rest my case. I think these people have got something not just special uh, within humanity, but something extra special in the area of science, of medicine, of invention, of education, loads in chemistry, actually, in aviation, in economics, in law, in politics. Over and over and over again, you look at it and it's quite shocking. Okay? So why, why are the Jews so hated? Why? All these generations persecuting them. Why? What's behind all this? I mean, is that not good? Is, are all these achievements in science and medicine and everything else not good? Well, the answer is the achievements are partly good, but they're not all good. Have my first slide, please, Stefan. Take a look at these guys here. You will recognize most of them, if not all of them. In the top, in your top left hand corner, Mr. Oppenheimer. What did he make? The atom bomb. Good or bad? Well, you see, this is before we can make a decision about the Jews, you need to un- at least understand what the argument is, okay? Oppenheimer's a Jew. Down here, bottom right, Edward Teller. What, does he, what did he invent? Hydrogen bomb. And this gray-haired old chap here, it's my grandfather, normally Jew. <laughs> Albert Einstein. All Jews, okay? And in fact, uh, uh, Einstein is considered to be the greatest scientist of all time. And what's it? in, is it? The is considered the second, and he's also a Jew. So you see, the argument begins, you can look at this two ways. You can say that this is a disaster, these bombs have been used, these bombs threaten humanity, and you can turn your anger on the Jews. Or you can say, hey, this is a small group of people who have been threatened with annihilation. What would you do? What would you invent? Not by might, nor by power. And you can see, you know, to some degrees, the motivation behind them. Okay? So good and bad, the achievements in terms of Nobel Prizes and achievements in all those different disciplines, good and bad. The next area of their achievement is in the area of money and wealth. Due to the persecution that the Jewish people have faced for, for generations upon generations upon generations... They needed portable wealth. Notes were no good. Local currency was no good. Because I could be in Austria today, I might be in Denmark tomorrow. I could be in Denmark today, well, they might drive me into Italy the next day. So currency was actually not much use to the Jews. So historically, they focused on portable, tradable types of wealth being principally gold, and jewelry and they became traders and indeed to some degree operated cartels and still do within these two fields and if you go to new york ever go down to the jewish area there it's it's amazing the the, the, the jewelry shops everywhere and, and jews everywhere orthodox dressed jews everywhere you look so in terms of wealth not currency in terms of wealth the jews of course did historically very well by the way not all Jews are wealthy, please, you know. It's like Americans, but Americans say, oh, you must be a multi—no, hello. (laughs) Not all Jews are wealthy, but it is is equally true to say the Jews have an enormous amount of wealth, as you'll see in a moment. So it wasn't just in the realm of wealth, as in gold and diamonds, but also in the realm of money and, and, and finances. Now, I don't know how far you want to go back, oh, because the this, this story is mind-blowing. I mean, to say the very least, you could call me a conspiracy theorist if you want, <laughs> but they say, you know, historically that there's such persecution around the world by the Jews that the first real grip on money that the Jews got was through the Rothschild family who were European-based, and that the Rothschilds ha- had and still have a dream And that dream is to dominate Europe with one currency, 1999. But before they could do that, they needed to dominate American finances. And the story of how that happened amongst the Jewish people is just astonishing. First of all, the Rothschilds got very well established in Europe. And then, in order to control the superpower that was to be for so long on the earth, America, in 1791, the Rothschilds dynasty, Opened up the first bank, their first bank in the States. In 1816, they opened up the second. In 1837, they introduced or muscled in the free banking era. And then in 1862, the beginning of the national banks. And all of that was done to orchestrate one thing, what we call today the Federal Reserve. It's a misnomer. It's neither federal or it's a reserve. And this, you'd really need to, 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 to slap yourself to say that you're in reality here. You do. You really need to say, how can someone tell me how the American government took all of the gold, the reserve, and they planted, it, 8 trillion they estimate, in Fort Knox. And then these bankers gave it, gave the authority of it to the to the Jews. Could someone please explain how on earth did they end up controlling the Federal Reserve? Well, the story is long and complicated, but that's exactly where we stand today. The, the, the value of the American dollar, which is very poor, we won't, you remember last year we looked at, at, The dollar because you need to know these things because these are the last days this is this is piece of paper guys don't be fooled a piece of paper what do you think that's worth huh not much that's right because there used to be a thing called the gold reserve right that was the standard gold standard so you had the gold and you had the issued the printed money okay and this always had to be more than this common sense banking amen long gone And then they got to the point where there was equal quantities. Now, what do we do? And this is after 1913. What they did is they introduced a thing called FRB, Federal Reserve Bank, uh, uh, Fractional Reserve Banking. Okay. They only needed a fraction of the gold to represent the note. And they started to print, 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 print. What happens this then? Devalued. So currently, they estimate that this is actually worth five cents. Five cents left in the value. You understand? So when people say America's bankrupt, you need to understand America's completely bankrupt, completely and utterly bankrupt. They trade not on gold anymore. They trade on confidence. That's why Wall Street are so pumped up. It's confidence. Without confidence, they've got nothing, right? Anyway, that's a different kettle of fish. So the Jews, could I have my next slide, please? If you, if you look at the American banking system, whether you want to look at it historically, and you can go back as far as you want, because they were always actually, the Jewish community, banking community, were always edging in in ever greater and greater ways. But if I begin with the elderly gentleman here, you will have seen him all of your lifetime. That's Alan Greenspan. And he was the chairman of the Fed. Alan Greenspan is a Jew, He was the chairman of the fed for a long time okay actually a very personable guy he's handed that over now to ben bernanke who is a that's right i mean uh and uh, you all know this guy because he's been on the news so much recently this is the imf the international monetary fund and the guy here on your bottom right is dominic strauss kahn dsk as they call him just lost his position actually he was going to be running for the Prime Minister of France, but he's not going to be doing that anymore. But he is a chairman of the International Monetary Fund. So now you begin to see maybe why there's such hatred of the Jews. Or begin to see, because there's an awful lot to see. Next slide, please, Stefan. This is the White House, or at least it's the White House whenever Obama took office. I, I am nearly addicted to American politics. I love it with a passion. Um, but this is just unbelievable. This is unbelievable. Here you have Obama. Now, Rav Emanuel, I remember his appointment. I remember the day that they swore him in, and he stood up with Obama there. I was quite interested in it, but he didn't last long. He was gone in no time. He's the chief of staff, or he was the chief of staff. Very powerful position in the White House person who controls, who takes what role, who does what position. Listen, folks, Rav Emanuel resigned from his post for reasons we won't go into, and he went back to be the mayor of Chicago, where Obama came from. Do you know who took his place? Another Jew. (laughs) Jacob Lew, you know, a radical Jew, actually. And you can work your way around the White House, and you can work your way around the power brokers within the White House, and, and, and you begin to see why America protects Israel, not because they love Israel, but because the Jews control the interest rate. You see, there's a difference between action and philosophy, and behind the scenes, the philosophy, in my opinion, particularly the the Democratic Party, would love to walk away from Israel, but they can't. Why? Where do you want to go? Do you want to go to politics? Do you want to go to finance? Because the Jews have lock, stock, and barrel taken control of the destiny, the present, and the future of the United States. And there's very little that they can really do about that. Now, let's go back to our question. Is this good or is this bad? Is this something we should judge the Jews for or is it not? Is God in it or is God not in it? And this is where the arguments come up, and at least we need to understand the arguments before we start taking sides. Hello. Because many Christians, you know, do not pause even to think about the Jews or to think about why they are hated. These are some of the reasons. But if these are reasons that are debatable, then the last reason is not debatable because the last reason is just a complete and utter worldwide disaster with what the Jews, the Jews have done. And that's Hollywood. In Hollywood, the the Jewish community control, and I mean control, Hollywood. Okay. And they have done for a very, very, very long time. And people will still dispute these facts. My eyesight is getting so bad. My hair is falling out. My eyesight's getting bad. Just in case you don't think the Jews control Hollywood, let's hope I can read this thing here, okay? News Corporation. Now, if you go to New York there, you'll see Fox News. That's a massive building, it's not all Fox. There are many other channels and newspaper distributed, you know, media moguls and all that there. Listen to this. News Corporation. The chairman, Peter Chernin, is a Jew. Paramount Pictures. The chairman, Brad Gray, is a Jew. Walt Disney, the chairman, is a Jew. Sony Pictures, the chairman, is a Jew. Warner Brothers, the chairman, is a Jew. Byrie Mayer, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, Jewish. MGM, Universal. And on and on and on you go. So when you you go to Hollywood, which has had such a huge effect on the world, terrible effect, I presume you would agree terrible effect with, with 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 the movies and stuff that's pumped out of hollywood god help us so i mean mel gibson you know the story with mel gibson he hated this you know monopoly that the jews had on hollywood uh, and wanted to make a film about jesus christ uh, called the passion of the christ which much as most of you will have seen but when the jews read the script they blocked every door so he said well i'll go to Metro golden i'll go to you can't go anywhere You can't produce a film without us. And of course, that's what Mel Gibson found. So the 300 million that was used to raise, to make that film, whose money was it? It was his own money. No one would back him because they knew, we touch him, what happens then? Their history, their toast, you see. Because the Jews to this very day control Hollywood and they control the junk that is pumped out globally, whether it's your MTVs and all the rest of it. Could you cue the video there? And you see, I I guess it's so easy to live in the world and not see it, but people who are Jews that you would never dream of. Gwyneth Paltrow, Borat. Uh, If if I was a Jew, I would keep that one quiet myself, you know. (laughs) Robert Maxwell, he's dead now. He used to control the media and so much of the world. Rupert Murdoch, Jewish. Neil Diamond, Spock, that's another one to keep going, Olivia Newton-John, Calvin Klein. Go ahead, guys, take a look at this video, and these are some of the Jews of Hollywood that you may know or may not know, but it depends on your, on your age, because some of them stem back over many years, and some of them are more modern stars. I went to a synagogue in Dublin many years ago, and as I sat there, the guy who was leading the meeting got up and and began to speak. And as he spoke and introduced people, he introduced them by telling us about their achievements, awards. And if you ever wondered about the BAFTAs and the Emmys and the Oscars, if you know their names, just shout out. James Caan, right? Woody Allen, Right? Simon and Garfunkel, Annie Lennox, right, Scottish from Jewish ancestry, you have to, your, your, your mother has to be a Jew to be a Jew, not your father, Ian Brody, Edwin Brody, Dustin Hoffman, right, Harrison Ford, she married John Cleese, right, Jacqueline Phoenix, right, John Stewart. Jerry Springer, Kirk Douglas, Larry King, one of the most powerful men in media in the States. Okay, you get the idea, okay? Many faces. Now, if you go back, you know, over the years, you will find that the Jewish community within the States and around the world still faced persecution and couldn't get themselves established. So, listen to this. They had to change their names so that when they were publicized, people wouldn't reject the movies. So Woody Allen is not Woody Allen. He's Alan Korsenberg. But he had to change that. Bob Dylan, not Bob Dylan, Zimmerman, but it was a Jewish name, so he wouldn't get anywhere. Tony Curtis, he died this year, right? Bernie Schwartz, Joan Corford, Kirk Douglas that we saw there, and Michael Douglas, that's not their name. Their name is Dembski, Jewish name. So they had to change it. Elliot Gould, Judy Garland, Judy Holiday, Leslie Howard, Larry King. He's not Larry King. Larry Ziegler. And on and on you go. They had to maneuver their way into the places they've got, whether it's financial or whether it's an advertising or whatever field. I just want you to be- begin to think, okay, why are the Jews hated? And do I support them in some of this stuff? Am I against them? And we'll answer some of those questions over the coming weeks. But you see the all-pervasive influence of the nation of Israel on this earth. And in fact, folks, after what you've seen here and after looking at the pound in your pocket and your TV at home, has Israel affected you? They affect the value of your property they affect the TV your kids watch. They affect everything, okay? And God most certainly has been with them in a very special way. Now, you would naturally, having seen that and seen the, the great good and the great harm that these people have done on the earth, it, would, it should force or should prompt the following question. God, why didn't you do something? Why didn't you do something? Why didn't you stop them if you knew they were going to do this or that and the other? And God, I believe, would answer us and say, excuse me, I did. It's called the law. I put a law on these guys that was a bit like the prodigal son in the home, but he didn't want to live in the home, didn't want to live under his father's law. I gave them a law. I tried to restrain them, but they wouldn't listen. Now, remember the Jews, this scripture says that the nation of Israel is given to you as an example for you to watch them and to see the mistakes that they made and not to repeat the same mistakes. Amen. That scripture says that they're there for, for us to see and to learn from. So, what do you want out of life, guys? Rich? Famous? Happy? What do you want out of life because the same problems that affected them if we don't learn from them we will repeat them and i want to look at the law but in order to understand the law or at least understand where it came from in the initial stages we need to see this and we need to see the destruction that happens the child when he leaves home that's what we need to see and we need to see that it was the heart of a good father that put those restraints upon israel not a bad father and the same law, the same rule applies to us. And many of you will wrestle and, 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 and be uncomfortable maybe with the rigors of Christianity or the expectations of your cell leaders or your pastors or your disciples, not understanding, don't you know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? Don't you know your potential both for good and evil? You need to know it. You need to know it. You need to respect, in in one sense, yourself and your own abilities. And that prodigal left that home thinking he was oh so clever and oh so able to handle his genius. Well, I've got some news for you. You're not that smart. Okay? You're plain and simply not that smart. No man can. If your life is in your hands, your life is in the wrong hands. It's in very dangerous hands. And you need to humble yourself and not go through the stuff the prodigal son had to go through before you're broken. Don't do it the hard way. Last slide, please. I just want to introduce the topic of the law today, and we'll look at it in coming weeks in in more detail but it's a fascinating thing you know and it's a gracious and beautiful thing there are many types of law in in scripture somebody got a bible there please thank you there are many types of law here and if i open up my scriptures and i start reading in leviticus about moving a boundary stone or whatever these are not laws that apply to you or to me there are many many types here there's ceremonial laws there's laws of custom Jewish custom, these are not apply. these don't apply to you, okay? Everybody look up, pay very careful attention. Don't be a prodigal. Don't be a prodigal. Pay careful attention. Much of the Old Testament there with regards to the Jewish law, they don't apply to you. And if you handle this, this issue wrong, it can be a disaster for life. We constantly find ourselves trying to straighten out people, Christians, who do not understand the law, and they won't give you time to explain it either. You know, some things are not simple, and some things take time. So point number one, there's many types of law, and they don't apply to you, okay? But in this book, friends, old and new, there are laws that apply to you, okay? We call it God's moral law, and in the Old Testament, it's condensed into what we call the Ten Commandments the law of God, okay? These most certainly apply to you, to me, to all generations. It wasn't a specific Hebrew or Jewish thing. So point number one, because you know what, friends? More and more today, you walk up to someone and you say, hey, you weren't at the prayer meeting Friday, and I know you weren't working. Where were you? Huh, I'm not under law. I'm under grace. Didn't you hear? <laughs> are you, are you, are you tithing? I'm I'm not under law. I'm under grace. And this little line, I'm not under law. I'm under grace. I'm sure the prodigal probably had that running through his head a little bit. Do you know what? I can just go wherever I want. I can do whatever I want because of this great grace of God. Uh -uh. Bad perspective, dangerous mindset. So friends, you are most certainly under the law, as well as grace. I'm just not under the rabbinical laws, no. No way. That's a different era. That's a different thing. But I'm under the Ten Commandments, Nine Commandments actually now, right? I'm under those, aren't I? And so are you. So don't be so quick. And this is where people rush off and then they get messed up with with a misinterpretation of how the law works. If you don't get this right, you will take this book, and you will be forever beating everybody up around you. But, of course, the person you'll beat up the most is yourself. A person who's got no grace for themselves will not have it for anybody else. You need to understand this for yourself, and so that you and I can be proper ministers of God's law. And I believe this was the beginning place of all the destruction we've seen that happened with the dispersed tribes but this was the beginning place of where it came from. He thought he could go. He thought he knew better. There's many types of law. Do we obey God's law? The answer is yes, friends. A loud, resounding yes, but not for salvation. There's a difference between legalism and being legal, if you like. Okay? A legalist is someone who obeys God's law, so the Ten Commandments, in order to get saved. Right? That's a legalist. We don't want to be legalists. Paul writes most of his 16 books to legalists, saying that's the wrong road. But we do want to be legal. Amen. We do want to abide under God's laws, the right ones, the correct ones. And incidentally, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, both testaments describe, how can I put it? They they assess a person's love for God by their obedience to what? to the commandments of God over and over and over again. Let me read you some of these, and you can look them up if you want, but they're critical scriptures. Matthew chapter 19, this is the New Testament. Matthew 19, verse 17. Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is no one who is good. If you want to enter eternal life, what does it say? Keep the commandments or keep the law. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. New Testament. New Testament. Written to us. That was John 14, 15. 1 John 2, verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. If we obey his laws, in other words. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. Old Testament and New. God assesses our love for him. He does it. All right. You just read it. God assesses your love for him by the measure to which you obey his law. Okay. So be careful of that little throwaway line. I'm not under law. I'm under grace. We most certainly obey the law, but we do it because we love God. We do it out of obedience. We don't do it for salvation. Do you know, you will even hear pastors say this or preach this. Listen, You know what they'll say ah the old testament that was the jews and they were saved by the law (laughs) And new testament now it's us and we're saved by grace um excuse me no one no one has ever been saved by obeying the law no one ever has been saved it's impossible see the cross look the, the cross stands in the middle of history and you look back to it in faith You put your faith in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, correct? Amen. Do you know the Jews, the ones who were saved, they put their faith forward, you see? But it was still faith. It was always faith, and it's only faith that saves. Abraham believed God. Faith. And because of that faith, it's not obedience to the law. We don't obey to get saved. We're saved by grace through faith. Faith. So the cross stands at the center of this. They looked forward to the coming Messiah and some of them got it and we're saved. And we look back, but it's, it's, it's faith period. And my last point there, Jesus came to tell us the Jews had made such a mess of the law, such a mess of the interpretation of it that they were excluding everybody from their, you know, fellowship with them. They would beat the living daylights out of each other. And can you imagine God, who's a good father, looking down from heaven and thinking, Oh, look what they're doing! Look at how they interpret this! And so Jesus Christ, Jesus, the Son of God himself, came down onto earth for many reasons. But you know what one of those reasons was? to tell us how the law should look, and he epitomized that on a cross. You see, the law, the, 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 the perfect interpretation of the law is love, friends, and if you miss that, if you spend your life, everybody look up and listen very carefully. If you've got one of these that you can't stop pointing at other people, what are you laughing at, Helen? <laughs> if you've got one of these that you can't stop, do you know what you need to do? You need to take this home, and you need to just go back to the beginning, because that finger there, it's not just a little sin. There really are many pointing straight back at me. If you're a finger pointer, you have not yet understood the law, and it has become a burden to you, and you will be nasty, not nice, Okay. You will not be a, a, a Christian that people can warm to. You'll be highly judgmental, okay, as well as in, in great danger yourself. But we, we'll look at this in weeks to, in weeks to come. I w- Remember, the theme of the last few weeks is how to pray for Israel because I believe these are the last days. Rich? Did they succeed? Wow! Did they succeed? Famous? Did they succeed? Man. Rich, they got the Federal Reserve. Famous, they got Hollywood. Happy? No, sir. How do we pray for the Jews? I worked for a Jewish kosher baker for about a year and a half, and every day I went to Jewish elderly homes, Jewish schools, Jewish colleges. My life was full of Jews. (laughs) And I would bring my bread, crates of bread, into the different places, you see? And during that time, I tell you, I learned a little bit, just a little bit, about the real heart of these people. And they're truly called a peculiar people. I'll give you an example about being happy. There was one lady, it was a home for the elderly, and her name was Mrs. Hyman. And she ran that home. So I would come up every day, I would arrive there and say, Morning, Mrs. Hyman, here's your bread. I tell you, that woman would come out and she would look at the bread and she'd say, What? What's this? I said, it's your bread. It's too small. It's too small. You expect me to pay for this? You take it back to him. You tell him I don't want it. And at the same time, she's taking it away from me, you know, you say, I, I, I don't want it. This is ridiculous. You tell him I said that. So I go back to the bakery. I said, Mrs. Hyman said the bread's too small. So next day I come in, morning, Mrs. Hyman, it's your bread. What's this? It's too big. It's huge. How am I supposed to do with it? You making fun of me? You people making fun of I said, no, no, Mrs. Hyman. That's the way he made it. Uh, next day, and you come. What's that? It's too wide. Look at the width of this bread. Over and over. And you know, at first, you go through a cycle. You're angry at them. You're mad at them. You're... But in the end, you feel so sorry. You feel so sorry because you look and you think, do you know what? No matter what, the world is not enough, is it? The world is not enough for you. And no matter what you're offered, it's not the, what's out there that's making you discontent. It's your heart. You're already discontent. You're a discontented person. We're looking at praying for the nation of Israel, praying for the Jews around the world and those back home. Rich, we need to pray about that that they're not deluded or misled by finances, by the glitter of gold. Amen. Pray about that, that it wouldn't deceive them. Famous, they need to cast their crowns before the Lord. That's what they need to do. Famous, well, you've just seen it for yourself. Incredibly famous, but that they don't get misled by that or by the applause of men. Unhappy, we need to pray that wherever they are around the world, that they finally, that the penny drops, that it dawns on them, that apart from recognizing the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, they will never be happy. And incidentally, neither will. Neither will you. And these things are written so that you would learn a lesson and not make the same mistake. Okay, God will bless you, but money's not your God, and it's not your pursuit. Many very talented and skilled people here with great genius, careful, careful, keep your feet on the ground, and let the joy of the Lord be your happiness and be your strength. Just invite the worship team back. Stand to your feet one moment. I want to give you a moment just to to make your own peace with God in light of these things. God, we we take the days and the times in which you have trusted us to live with seriousness and concern. I pray you would put away levity and, and, and silly behavior from our lives and our destinies and our midst, God. Help us put our shoulder to the wheel of what's happening in the world at the moment, God. The days are short. The time is limited. And together as one man in this place, firstly, we lift Israel. God, we pray for the protection of its borders, that you would send angels to surround them, Father. Take away the veil and let them see Christ as as millions are today. And we thank you for that. But Lord, we intercede for them. We stand in the gap for them. We ask you to bless them, save them, God. I pray for everyone we've seen in America, Timothy Geithner and the the, the various leaders in the states amongst the Jewish community and indeed the government. Would you open their eyes? Open their eyes to see Christ. And Lord, for we here who are saved, we learn a lesson from the destruction that has come upon the Jewish people. Let us not be deluded like the prodigal, but be more like Judah and understand that God is our source God is our strength and you are my life Father in this place today I pray you would put every person here in a right place with the law the law has really several purposes but its key purpose is to reveal a loving father who wants his children safe and God we embrace your law we embrace you as our Father. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill us and make, make us wise, God. Let us not be foolish, but wise.